podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. good boys and girls welcome to the show we are less than one month to christmas and it's very exciting the world cup is ongoing and it's less than exciting uh there's a bunch of games today if you want our reviews and previews of those show of those games i would suggest checking out the world cup daily over on anfield index uh where we are reviewing and previewing to beat the band uh, if you're unaware on what happened over the weekend, if you've been in a cocoon or something, or you just don't care about the World Cup. On Friday, Iran beat Wales 2-0. Senegal beat Qatar 3-1. The Netherlands and Ecuador drew 1-1. And England escaped with a very fortunate 0-0 draw 
against the USA on Saturday. Australia, a great moment for the Aussies, beating Tunisia 1-0. Poland beat Saudi Arabia 2-0. Robert Lewandowski finally getting that much-deserved World Cup goal. France beat Denmark 2-1, and Kylian Mbappe reminded us all that he is the best player in the world right now. And Argentina defeated Mexico by two goals to nil. My man Enzo Fernandez coming off the bench to change the game. Leo Messi with the first goal, Enzo with the second. Yesterday, Costa Rica beat Japan 1-0 in a big surprise, given how their first games had gone. Morocco beat Belgium 2-0 in a surprise, but when we dig into Belgium, maybe not so much. Croatia hammered Canada four goals to one, and Spain drew 1-1 with Germany. We have four games today, of course. So Cameroon-Serbia, that one kicks off in about 15 minutes. And we're recording early today, very early. I wouldn't normally be up at this time. South Korea play Ghana. Brazil play Switzerland. And then Portugal versus Uruguay in the quote-unquote marquee game of the day. Uh, This is the last round of games in the second round of group stage games, tomorrow it all restarts and we go again with the third round of games in this group stage. Uh, the knockout stage then will start on Saturday and run Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Only two games a day on those days, which is quite nice. And then obviously the uh, quarterfinals follow that with a two-day break, a two-day break from games following Tuesday the 6th of December, the 7th and 8th. There's no games. That's going to be quite nice, a little break from the football. Uh, Right, today, I think we need to talk about Belgium because this is one of those highly touted golden generations you know the type England had one and they won nothing this Belgian group are going to end with nothing this team is not good enough to win the World Cup this team will be quite fortunate to find their way out of the group stage right now they sit third in their group Morocco and Croatia have four points Croatia are top with a slightly better goal difference Then it's Belgium on three points and then Canada. Belgium have to play Croatia while Morocco play Canada. Morocco will fancy themselves to beat the Canadians, meaning that a Belgium win would put them through and knock Croatia out. So the Croatians can't afford to lose that game. A draw will see Croatia through, regardless of what happens in the other game. And a non-Belgian win, so a Croatia win or a draw, plus a Moroccan win, or even a Moroccan draw if if, if Belgium-Croatia ends in a draw, we'll see Belgium go out in the group stage, which would be highly embarrassing considering some of the talent they have. They've got Thibaut Courtois. He's one of the, at worst, three, top three goalkeepers in the world. At worst, I would say he's probably number two behind Alison Becker. 
just ahead of Jan Oblak, based on form over the last 18 months. But he's in that group. He is a really special goalkeeper. His next appearance for them will be his 100th cap. He's only 30, which we know for a goalkeeper, especially one like him, is still quite young. He's probably got another five, six years left at the highest level. But when you look at the goalkeeping situation for Belgium, you realise they're not bringing through young goalkeepers to challenge Courtois or to back him up or to potentially replace him if he decided to retire from international football a little bit earlier. The other two goalkeepers in the current squad are Simon Mignolet, who's 34, will turn 35 in March, and Colin Castiles, who's 30 and only has four caps. In the last 12 months, they've called up three other goalkeepers. Mats Sells, he's 30, he's got two caps. Thomas Kaminsky, he's 30, he's got zero caps. And Davy Royf, he's 28, he'll be 29 in February, and he has zero caps. That's not ideal. That's not ideal at all, that you don't have anyone that's been in and around your squad for the last 12 months who could potentially become the successor to Courtois or competition to Courtois in the near future. As great as he is, you still need to be pushing him and inspiring him to play at a higher level. There's issues at centre-back. Toby Alderweireld is 33. He'll be 34 in March. He's got a history of injuries. And he's playing for Royal Antwerp. He's well past his best. And yet he is a nailed-on every-game starter for them. As is Jan Vertonghen, who's 35, turns 36 in April. These two are playing in the Belgian League, which, with respect, it's not a bad league, but it's not an elite league. Vertonghen was dreadful with Benfica which is how he ends up at Anderlecht. And these two are automatic starters. The third member of that back three, as it starts right now, is Thomas Mounier, who's 31 and hasn't been very good for two years for Borussia Dortmund. Then you're starting wing-backs of Timothy Castagne, who's having an awful season for Leicester, and Yannick Carrasco, who's not a wing-back. Just isn't. He's 29 as well. He's inconsistent at best and playing out of position. In central midfield, you're starting Axel Witzel, who's 33 and isn't very good anymore. Hasn't been since he tore his Achilles. Then you're starting Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne behind your striker. Now, De Bruyne, that's fine, because he's still great. He's 31, but he's still great. But Eden Hazard hasn't been good in three years. He's barely played in three years. And up front, Lukaku's not fit. He's there. He's played 25, 30 minutes, but he's not fit. Michi Batshuayi never lived up to the billing from when he was a young player at Standard, and then at Marseille. The move to Chelsea just ruined him. 
Others that you're relying on in this squad then include Dries Mertens, who's 35, Thorgan Hazard, who is 29 and, let's be fair, average on a good day. Like, this squad is too old. It hasn't been turned over well enough. You look at the younger players in this squad. From a defence, so we've been through the goalkeepers. There's no young goalkeepers getting an opportunity here to even be in the squad. Arthur Tiete of Rennes, he's got four caps. Now, he's only 22. He's very promising. He's been good for Rennes this year. But he's only got four caps. Wood Faze of Leicester, 24 years of age, one cap. One cap at 24. And let's not pretend he wasn't good last year. Let's not pretend that he's just sort of appeared. But he's got one cap. Zeno DeBast is the, I suppose, big prospect they've got at centre-back right now. He's really talented. He's 19. He's got three caps. But you're not going to throw a guy with three caps or one cap or four caps into a World Cup, are you? Really? I don't think you are. So, for the Belgians, they've got these three good young defenders who arguably, individually and collectively, will be better than the three they're currently starting at centre-back. And yet, between them, they've got eight caps. They haven't been prepared for this World Cup. In midfield, Yuri Thielemans is young, but he isn't dynamic. He's quite slow. He's not in great form at the moment, but he's 25, so he's one they can look to build around moving forward. Leander Dendonker's okay. You're not really going to want to build around him. He's more of a squad player. Amadou Onana, he's one you want to build around. He's got four caps. Two of them have come at this tournament. Charles de Ketelier, he's one that you can build around, but you haven't done it yet. So you can't just throw him in at a World Cup and say, right, kid, go on and prove yourself. Hans Vanigan, he's 30. He's in that older group as well. Like you're not you're not seeing the talent come through. It's not like it's not there. Salamakers is good. Mangala is good. Vasharan is good, but they're not being given opportunities. RL Mangala is 24. He's got two caps. I'm sorry, he should have a lot more than that. He was exceptional for Stuttgart for a couple of years. Albert Sambi Lakonga, he's got one cap. He's 23. And I know he's not ideal. I know he's not great. But one cap. Yari Vasharan is super talented. I don't even I don't know how he's not in the squad, but he's got seven caps. 21, seven caps. Left out of the squad. In in favor of who? Like Vanigan? Then Donker? Witzel? In attack, you've got Luis Appenda in the squad. He's only got six caps. Jeremy Doku has 11. You're not going to rely on them. 
You've got Trossard, who's in the form of his life for Brighton. Can't get on the pitch. And you look at those that have been called up in the last 12 months. It's it's Benteke, it's Origi, it's Yanazai. The, the failure from Belgium is the failure of their manager. Not bringing through the next generation of Belgian players. Like Van der Hayden isn't a great centre-back, but he's been really good for uh, Union St. Gilles. He's got one cap. Sebastian Bernau of Wolfsburg, three caps. He's 23. These players should be well into double figures. They should have a lot more experience than this. Like Jan Vertonghen isn't good enough to play for your national team anymore. Neither is Toby Alderweireld. Neither is Axel Witzel. These players should have been aged out of the squad and replaced. Romeo Lavia should be in this squad. The lad is exceptional. I know he had an injury, but he's been back a couple of weeks now. And he looks like he hasn't missed a step. You've had all the time to get ready for this World Cup. And you've just failed. You haven't used the time well at all. Now, part of it is that they're not managed very well. Roberto Martinez is not a good manager. The highlight of his career is winning the FA Cup with Wigan. He also got relegated that season. And when we look at his career, he did okay with Swansea. Won League One. Got the Wigan job off the back of that. 29.1% win percentage across four years. Yes, he won an FA Cup. He also got them relegated. He failed at Everton. And yet somehow turned that failure with Everton into a spot with Belgium. Now, he did well at the 2018 World Cup. They finished third. But you never felt like they were going to win the competition, even with this squad in their prime. Like, look back at that squad that Belgium had in 2018, and they should have been they should have been favourites to win the whole thing. Courtois, Aldevel in his prime, Thomas Vermeilen still knocking around, Vincent Company just at the tail end of his, his best years, Vertonghen at the tail end of his prime, Witzel in his prime, De Bruyne entering his prime, Fellaini still useful, Lukaku playing quite well, Hazard in his prime, Carrasco at 24 looked a really exciting prospect, even though he'd made the silly move to China. But just think of those names I've given you there. Vermeulen, Company, and Fellaini are the only ones of that 11 that I named out who aren't in the current squad. Mignolet and Costells, the backup goalkeepers, they were the backup goalkeepers then. So that's 10 of 13. Dries Mertens, he's at this one. Thomas Mounier, Torgan Hazard, Yuri Telemans. All at this World Cup. 
as is Michi Batshuayi, as is Leander Tentonker. Of that 23-man squad, 16 of them are at this World Cup four years later. The ones who aren't, Adnan Yanazai is still somebody that gets called up. Dedrick Boyata, he's been called up in the last couple of years. Nasser Chadley is kind of has been one that's aged out. Musa Dembele has aged out. Company and Vermeilen, I think, have both retired. Company obviously definitely has. Vermeilen, I, I almost certainly he has. Thomas Vermeilen has retired. Fellaini's playing in China, which is why he's not there. No, he also retired. He also retired after the last World Cup, because otherwise he probably would be there. So of the six who aren't there. Three of them are retired. Four of them are retired. Moussa Dembele as well. I just can't get over it. Like, you've got Yanazai, Boyata and Chadley. They're the only three who are in that squad, who aren't either in this squad or retired. He hasn't done anywhere near good enough of a job of bringing through the next generation. And it's not like there isn't talented players in the Belgian system right now. There's a lot of talent in their under-21 squad. Van der Voort, the goalkeeper, is thought to be a star in the making. RB Leipzig, who rarely make mistakes, have one of the most highly regarded scouting systems in the world. They bought him back in April with the view to signing him in two years, they were so certain of how good he was going to be. Hasn't been given a look in by the genius that is Roberto Martinez. Aster Franks, very talented midfielder. Marco Canna, very talented midfielder, can also play in defence. Romeo Lavia, I mentioned, super talented. Vesheron, I mentioned, he's not in the current squad. He has been capped at least. Coney de Winter looks really good for Empoli. Hugo Sakit playing for Freiburg, quality player. None of them getting a look in at the senior level. Because this guy's just too married to a group of players who have aged past being relevant on the world stage. Like if a World Cup squad isn't picked on merit, I don't know what we're doing here. But some of these players do not merit a position based on their form for the last two years. That's all well and good. We see the same thing with England. Oh, but they've got credit in the bank from previous tournaments with England. Same thing with the Belgians. Oh, but it's what they've done in the past. The past is the past. It's not the now. It's not, it's not helping you. These players doing well at the last World Cup 
isn't going to help them do well at this World Cup. And this World Cup was the last opportunity that some of these players had to win a major tournament for their country. It is unlikely that Belgium will produce a group of players with this much talent at one time again. And and this much as in individually and how many talented players there were. But he has just relied solely on the same group of players over and over and over again and done nothing to bring through the next generation. Like if we look at their squad at the Euros, Courtois, Alderweireld, Vermeilen retired, Boyata, he's now since lost his spot in the squad. Vertonghen, Witzel, De Bruyne, Tielemans, Lukaku, Hazard, Carrasco, Mignolet. Kaminsky was called up as an injury replacement for Mignolet. Uh, Matt Sells, he was in the squad then, he's out now. Uh, Mertens, Mounier, Torgan Hazard, Vanneken, Jason Denier. He's lost his place. Then Donker, Benteke has lost his place. Castanier, Chadley, Michi Bachuai, Trossard, Doku, and Pryat, and he's lost his place. So one, two, three, four, five, six. Six players who aren't in this squad, one of whom is retired. Another one of whom is the third choice goalkeeper. He's just, he's done such a poor job at turning the squad over. There's so much talent available. And yet they've been hamstrung by having this cabbage in charge for six years. I I don't understand how he's lasted this long. He has very much lived off that World Cup. And to their credit, like they did well in that World Cup. But again, you didn't feel like they were going to win the World Cup. Or at least I didn't. Maybe others did. I didn't. They weren't great at the Euros. Got through their group, but weren't blowing teams away. You know, stumbled past Denmark. They beat Russia. Russia were awful. Stumbled past past Denmark. Got very, very fortunate against Finland. A game that looked destined to end in a nil-nil until Rodecki threw one into his own net. Into the knockouts. They did knock out Portugal. And then they kind of went out with a bit of a whimper against um, against the Italians. And it is just unfortunate. This team, this incredible squad that they had four years ago, has been overplayed, overcommitted to, and they're going to end up with nothing. They've wasted the prime years. Six years of this group of players wasted on Roberto Martinez. But me and Guy were talking before we went live, and 
we were talking about the, the World Cup managers and, you know, how many of them would you actually want in charge of your team? So let's just run through them. So Gustavo Alfaro is the Argentine who's in charge of Ecuador. And he's a journeyman manager. You know, he bounces around. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. This is his seventeenth job as a manager since nineteen ninety two. So seventeen jobs in thirty years. Um, he's managed Atletico de Rafaela twice and Arsenal de Saranda twice, and they're the only jobs that he has stayed in for more than a year. He had three years and then two years at Atletico de Rafaela and two years and then four years at Arsenal de Sarandi. Now, if I'm not mistaken, they're lower league teams in Argentina. I'm almost certain they're both, yeah, they're both lower league teams in Argentina. Um, I, I don't know if he was a good club manager or not. I'm not overly familiar with him. I know that when he was at Boca, it didn't go particularly well. But, um, no, it, it did. He won the league, didn't he? I think he did well at Boca. I, I could be wrong. I think he did well at Boca. With Ecuador, he's done a brilliant job. He's made them exceptionally hard to beat. You'd look at his his um, win percentage. It's only 35%. But he's only lost eight of 34 games. He's made Ecuador really, really tough to beat. And he's brought along this exceptionally talented generation of Ecuadorian players like Plata and Hincapi and Caicedo, obviously, have been the, the main one. So he's done really well from that regard. But for the career, he hasn't exactly been an inspiring choice as manager. But he's properly found his groove here with Ecuador. And I think off the back of this, he would get a decent club job. Especially, yeah, it looks like the the time at Baku actually did go a lot better than I thought it did. Um, 50 games, 27 wins, 16 draws, only 7 defeats. 73 goals scored, 28 conceded. That's pretty good. So move on from him. Louis van Gaal. We know Louis van Gaal in the past has been a great manager. But I don't think Louis van Gaal, I don't think he'd look for another club job. This was his first job in five years. He was retired before he came back to take take charge of the Netherlands for the third time. Felix Sanchez with Qatar. I don't know. He's never worked outside of Qatar. He obviously cut his teeth as a coach in the Barcelona Youth Academy, but he never managed outside of Qatar. He was at Aspire Academy and then he worked his way through the age groups with Qatar. I don't know if he'd get a club job. We've got no evidence to suggest he would or wouldn't. Alou Cisse, manager of Senegal, has never had a club job and I don't think he's going to be all that interested in a club job, but he has done well with Senegal. 70% win percentage across 145 games, won the AFCON. I think he's someone, if he did want to, I think you'd get a club that would take a chance 
a de- like a, a decent level of club that would take a chance and give him a job because he's done quite well there. What about Gareth Southgate? I think a club would be foolish enough to give him a job. But I mean, his one club job, he failed at Middlesbrough. And then he somehow worked his way into the England coaching setup, got the under-21 manager's job four years after being sacked by Borough as a failure. And then somehow got the England job when Sam Allardyce was caught doing things he shouldn't have been doing. Some club would be foolish enough to give him a job, but the evidence is he's not a good club manager. There's no evidence that he's actually a good manager. He's done fairly well with England, but look at the group of talent he has. It's the same situation with the the Belgians. Like, we could look at Roberto Martinez and say, oh, he finished third with, with Belgium at the World Cup. He must be great. Southgate finished fourth, and obviously then runner-up in the Euros. But with the talent that he has, he like, are they getting there in spite of him? Because I feel like France won the last World Cup in spite of their manager. I think they'll win this World Cup in spite of their manager. I think great players can carry a bad manager. But a great manager can't carry bad players. So Southgate would probably get a job, but it would be a foolish club. Carlos Quiroz wouldn't get another good job. Greg Berhalter will never get a good job. Rob Page would not get a good job. I don't believe Lionel Scaloni would get a good job. I don't think he's a particularly good manager. Uh, Gerardo Martina of um, he's the Argentine in charge of Mexico. He's another that's had you know, a, a list of jobs. Uh, I think he could get a job, maybe an MLS, probably about the height of it, or, you know, in, in South America, maybe if he wanted to, but um, I think he's a decent manager, but again, he's another one who's been a bit of a football journeyman. This is his third national team job. He was Paraguay manager. He was Argentina manager and now Mexico. He's one of Messi's, confidence. Messi got him the job with Barcelona. Then he got him the job with Argentina. Uh, He didn't do particularly well in either position um, on the whole. So, yeah, he'll probably get another job. Messi Messi might even get him the Inter-Miami job if he ends up there. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name of the Polish manager. Um, but again, like he's a football journeyman. He's just bounced around job for a year, job for a year. every job is a year bar the Poland under 21 job. And Lech Poznan back 15 years ago, 16 years ago, he left there after three years in charge. Every other job has been a year and there's been a lot of jobs. Is he a good manager? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. He's done okay with Poland. He's done all right with them, but not great, not not spectacular. I don't know if he's a good manager. I don't know what he'd get. Herve Renard is is a he's a strange character. He's he's much more suited to international football than club football, and. It's one of the reasons he's managed a number of nations. He's managed Zambia, Angola, Zambia again, Ivory Coast, Morocco, and now Saudi Arabia. He's got very specific ideas about what he wants from his players. I think 
players would dislike him as a club manager, though. I think he's a little bit too... I think he's a little bit too demanding. I think the system of football that he wants to play, I think you'd struggle to maintain what he wants at club level. Um, like his last two club jobs, Socha and Lille, he was disastrous at. So he, he's not getting another club job, but I don't think he'll look for one. Uh, Graham Arnold of Australia, I'm sure he could get an A-League job, but I don't think he'd get beyond that. Casper Hillman of Denmark, I do think could get a good club job. And I expect that we'll see him get a good club job at some point after this World Cup. Deschamps, he will get a club job if he wants one. Now, he may not want one. He's still only young, though. He's only 54. But uh, he wasn't exactly a roaring success with Marseille last time out. He did fairly well, obviously, with Monaco, got them to a Champions League final. Did okay, to, to be fair. To be fair, he did win a league title with Marseille, which had completely escaped my memory. The second season, if I remember. Was he there three years? The first season he won the league, didn't he? And the second and third were poor. He would get a club job. He's a World Cup winner. He's getting another club job if he wants one. He just may not want one. But I don't think he's a particularly good manager. And it baffles me that he's been in charge of the national team for so long. Um, Jaleel Kadri, I couldn't tell you. He's the uh, Tunisian manager. Uh, Luis Fernando Suarez of Colombia, who's the manager of Costa Rica. He's another that prefers international football. Um, I'm sure he could get a, a job in South America, but when you look at the clubs he's been managing in the lead up to getting the Costa Rica job, it, it wasn't a who's who. He was working with second tier clubs in certain countries and then his previous job, yeah, he was, he was in Colombia. Uh, I, I, he'll get another international job, but not another club job, but not a good, not a good club job. Um, Hansi Flick could get any job he wants I think he's the best manager at the tournament Moriyasu, the Japanese manager uh, I'm still annoyed at his decision to leave Kyogo and Hatate at home um, he's been in the national setup since 2017 he only had one club job before that he probably walks into a J-League job but that's probably about it. Uh, Luis Enrique will get a good job, even though I'm not sold on him. Uh, Roberto Martinez, foolish club will hire Martinez. Well, question. John Herdman is one I do like. He's the English manager of um, Canada. He cut his teeth in women's football. He was the New Zealand women's manager, the Canadian women's manager, and then he got the Canadian job in 2018. And he's done he's done an exceptionally good job with them. I think he would get a good job. An MLS job. I don't think he'll get a job in the European League. But I think he could turn that into an MLS job if he wanted to. Uh, Zlatko Dalic couldn't tell you. Uh, Walid Regrigu. I have no idea. The Moroccan coach. Don't know if he's a good manager or not. Tite of Brazil, I don't think he'd get a club job. 
unless he really wanted one. I think he's just going to stay with Brazil. I think he's very happy there. But he's another one that was a football journeyman before he got that job. He's I I don't think he's a particularly great manager. Um, he's got a decent enough track record. He's you know he's he's won a couple of titles. Uh, won the Copa Libertadores. Won a couple of titles with Corinthians. But he he just wouldn't be for me. Uh, Rigobert Song is the manager of Cameroon. Like many others, he has not had another club job. He's just been in the Cameroon setup for a while. Uh, he was manager from 2016 to 2018 and was then reappointed this year. Uh, not really sure what the logic in replacing Tony Conceição was, but it is what it is. Um, he's done okay. Let's just say that. He's done okay. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't think he'd get a club job at a decent level. Uh, Dragan Stojkovic probably would. Um, he was in China for a number of years as the manager of uh, Guangzhou and did fairly well. Um, he previously managed Grampus 8 in, in Japan and he did well there. But uh, he probably... See, his name alone will get him jobs in certain countries, like the Balkan countries. He might get a job in Switzerland or Austria, but I don't think he'd get a job in a top five league. Because because his playing days are so far in the past, I don't think he'd get a job in the top five leagues. He probably would stay in Asia, though. He seems to like living in Asia. Went to play there um, quite young. He was only 29, I think, when he made the move to Grampus, and he's... He never really came back other than to take over with Serbia. He just stayed in Asia and, and enjoyed it. Um, Murat Yakin of Switzerland, he's he's a journeyman as well. I mean, it's a year here. Two years is kind of the, the max he's lasted. Hadn't done particularly well in any of his last three jobs before getting the national team job. Uh, Schaufhausen in the second tier. I don't know if they were second tier when he was there. That's probably the best he's done. He did well at Basel the first time, but the last Grasshopper, Sion, and Schaufhausen the second time, they haven't gone gone well. And what's interesting is he did really poorly at Schaufhausen the second time, having done really well the first time, but somehow got the national team job off the back of a of a failed spell with a second tier club. Uh, Otto Addo, don't know. Don't know. He's he's highly regarded as a coach. He was at, at Dortmund for a while. He was at Gladbach for a while. He was at Nordlsjan. So he's he's been around and he's been in good coaching situations, and he's learned from good people. He hasn't had a great record with Ghana, but it's a very young squad, and I think that's part of why he was brought in was they wanted somebody who could connect more with you know those younger players. He's 47 himself, but he's not an experienced manager. He's learning himself as he goes. I, I like what I've seen from Ghana, but I, I don't know is the answer. I think he's better off staying where he is. Fernando Santos would get a job because he won the Euros, but you'd want to be setting yourself up for some very boring football. Uh, Paolo Bento, I think he'd get a job in, in South Korea or in the J-League or someone like that. Um... Decent manager, but that's that's about all I'd give him. Um, Diego Alonso, I think, would get a good job, a, a good South American job. 
I think he's pretty highly regarded. And I think um, even though he's kind of bounced around as well, I, I think he would get a decent job in South America should he want one. And that's it. I, I just, just, you look at uh, Flick is, I think, the best manager at the World Cup. I really like Hulmond. After that, don't know that I'd be all that pushed to get any of them to my club. Um, I know a lot of Liverpool fans kind of like Luis Enrique. I, I just don't. I just don't see it with him. I, I think he does play an attractive brand of football, but it doesn't, doesn't do it for me. And the record's not great. You know, he had a, that great season with Barcelona, but I mean, look at the team he had. Most people would have a great season with that Barcelona group. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, let's have a chat about Brighton and we'll go through the gossip and we'll be done for the day. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. We are about 29 minutes into Cameroon versus Serbia, and Cameroon have just gone 1-0 up. Uh, Serbia had been in control. They had missed a really good opportunity through Alexander Mitrovic, but um, Cameroon have now gone 1-0 up, and that's a huge boost for them and a big blow for Serbia. Because I picked Serbia to do really well. And they're not doing well enough. Sack the manager. Get him out. I've had enough of him. Let's talk about Brighton. Brighton currently sit 7th in the Premier League. They began their season by beating Manchester United at Old Trafford. Then they got a 0-0 draw against Newcastle. As it turns out, that was a, a good result. They dominated Toon on the day as well. It should have won the game. They went to the London Stadium and they beat West Ham comfortably, 2-0. Dominated the midfield battle. They beat Leeds 1-0. They lost away to Fulham, which was a disappointment for them. Then they hammered Leicester. Then they got a really good draw away to Liverpool. What was notable was, between those Leicester and Liverpool games, it was almost a month past, and their manager left and went to Chelsea. Graham Potter went to Chelsea to replace Thomas Tuchel. Roberto De Zerbi arrived in the Premier League to take over and didn't exactly get the easiest start because he had Liverpool first, then he had Spurs. They lost to Spurs 1-0, but played quite well. Then they lost to Brentford and put in a poor performance, probably the worst of the season, until they played Nottingham Forest. A 0-0 draw, an awful performance by Brighton. Forrest very much just parked the bus. They lost 3-1 to City, but they had big spells of that game where they were the better team. Then they walloped Chelsea 4-1. Then they beat Wolves 3-2. And then a poor result against Aston Villa, losing 2-1 at home to Aston Villa. Just not, not good enough for the calibre of players that Brighton have. In the summer, they didn't spend a bunch of money. They brought in Enciso. They brought in a, a, a Dingra. He's gone on loan. 
They brought in a Stupinen and Billy Gilmore because they sold Mark Cucurella to Chelsea. They also sold Neil Mope. They sold Leo Ostegaard, which I think was a mistake. I said that at the time. Uh, they sold Yves Basuma to Tottenham, obviously. Jason Malumbi left permanently to go to West Brom. Alex Cochrane went to Hearts. So they made a substantial net profit on the summer. They also brought in Levi Colwell. Um, they've got one deal in the bank for January for Facundo Buenanote. Young midfielder from Argentina, can play wide, can play through the middle as an attacking midfielder. Super talented, like Enciso, a super talented player that's probably going to take a bit of time to adapt to life in the Premier League. But it's notable to look at Brighton's squad and see that at this World Cup, they've got Sarmiento, Caicedo and Estupin and all with Ecuador. Alexis McAllister with Argentina. Matoma with Japan. Another one of these incredibly good finds that they had. Tariq Lamptey with Ghana. Robert Sanchez with Spain. And Leandro Trossard with Belgium. That's eight players. That's more than Liverpool have at the World Cup. Liverpool have seven. So it just goes to show how well Brighton have scouted that they've got so many players that will play key roles for their nations at the World Cup. They've got a really exciting group of players. I'm not a huge Robert Sanchez fan. And I think they could do better. I think they'll eventually sell him for big money because I think his style of goalkeeping, you know, he's good with his feet. He's big and rangy. I think that is appealing to a lot of people. Not to me so much, but they found him at 16 and brought him in and they'll make a significant profit. Jason Steele and Tom McGill aren't great. I think they need a backup goalkeeper. If they're keeping Sanchez, they need a backup goalkeeper who's better than Jason Steele, who just isn't Premier League caliber. Um, I really like Tariq Lamptey. He's yet to start in the Premier League, which is just weird to me. Adam Webster is very good. Lewis Dunk is good. I'd like to see more opportunities for Levi Colwell. Uh, Jean-Paul Van Heck is a good young defender. Estupinen has been excellent. Veltman's a good squad player, but he's playing too much. Uh, Ofaya, Turns, Songa and Furlong, they're all young defenders with promising futures. I think they need to bring in a, another right wing back that they can rotate with Lamptey and get Lamptey playing a bit more, but not have to overplay him because he's got those issues with his hamstrings. And maybe one more depth piece at centre-back, unless they can keep Colwell uh, Colwell long-term. In midfield, they've got Solly Marsh, who's he's a solid player, but you know he's not going to excite you all that much. Alexis McAllister is outstanding. Uh, Trossard is in great form, but his contract situation becomes worrisome. They've got a, an extension option for a year. But he's only got 18 months left, so they're likely going to have to sell him. So they need to probably consider maybe moving him on in January. But in the likes of Enciso and um, Buenanote, they've got players, and Matoma, they've got players that can replace him, so it won't be a hammer blow. Pascal Grouse having a decent season for them. Lalana's an empty shirt. Jakob Motor still to come back. Sarmiento's another one that could be among those that replace Trossard. Very talented. Matoma. Caicedo's been incredible this season. 
absolutely incredible. Uh, but they're probably going to lose him. So they probably need to look at somebody who's that type of midfielder, that ball-winning, holding midfielder. Billy Gilmore is a solid squad player for them uh, who can maybe develop into Alexis McAllister's long-term replacement. Uh, Jack Spong, Andrew Moran, Cameron Poypen, and Jack Kinchy, they're all young players. Um I think they could do with finding another ball-winning midfielder. The retirement of Enoch Mwepu forced through the heart condition that he has, which is just so unfortunate, I think dictates that they need to go and find that type of midfielder. Because, again, I think they're going to lose Caicedo. Motor will come back, which helps, but I think they're going to need someone who's more of a sitter. Up front, Inciso's super talented. Undav, I, I just don't think he's quite cut out for the level. Evan Ferguson is very, very talented, but again, very, very young. And Danny Welbeck is their main striker. He hasn't scored in the Premier League this season. He's got one goal in 14 appearances. They need to find a number nine. I'm sick to the back teeth saying it. They need to find a number nine. So if I was them, I'd be looking for, for January, for a ball-winning midfielder and a number nine. In the summer then, look for somebody that can rotate with Lamptey as a right wing back. Ideally get someone that could play both sides so you could give a stupid and some rest as well. Um, though Solly March can play that role as a left wing back. But in a 4-4-2, he's not quite as comfortable. But yeah, I'd like to see another right wing back, someone that can rotate with Lamptey and maybe another depth centre back. But if they're going to stick to a back four and they can keep Caldwell, it's not necessarily a need. Striker is absolutely a need. You've got to get more goals in the team. They've scored 23 this season, which is, is good for Brighton, but nine of them came in two games. 12 of them, actually, 15 of them came in four games. 15 of them came in four games. So in the other 10 games, they've only scored seven goals. Only conceded 19, which is pretty good. They're always solid defensively. Duncan Webster, just very, very solid. And a couple of those goals were thrown in by the goalkeeper as well. So, you know, you can't blame the defence for that. I I love this club. They're just so well run. They're such a model of how to do things the right way. They've lost their manager. They lost their sporting director in the summer. They've had their coaching staff under the manager pinched as well by Chelsea. They've had their head of recruitment pinched by Chelsea. And you know what? None of it's mattered because they brought in De Zerbi to replace Potter. He may actually just be a flat-out better manager. They uh, promoted somebody, David Weir, who was working under Dan Ashford, the sporting director, and they've been fine. And the recruitment department, uh, you're kind of wasting your time robbing the recruitment department. What you need are are their metrics and their identifiers, and there's only a handful of people that know what they are. And Tony Bloom is one. And the others don't actually work for Brighton. They work for Union St. Gilles. That's where they do a lot of their talent identification. So teams are looking at the in the wrong area to get the best and brightest out of Brighton. But it's such a good sign when you lose your manager and your sporting director in a couple of months and you just keep on moving. And you keep on getting better. And you keep on identifying talent. Yes, they had that rough run 
after the Zerbi took over. They didn't win any of their first five league games under him. But look at who they were playing. Liverpool, Tottenham, a really well-run Brentford and Manchester City. The only bad result out of that is Forest. I would say they've had two bad results this season. The draw at home with Forest and the defeat at home to Aston Villa. I think they'll be a little bit disappointed by the Fulham game, but Fulham aren't awful, and it was away. Forest at home and Villa at home, they're the poor results. If they have a win against Forest and a draw with Villa, which, in fairness, they probably should have got, that's three more points. If they had three more points, they would sit in sixth place, one point behind, sorry, two points behind Manchester United. Like the fact that Brighton are currently ahead on goal difference, but still ahead of Chelsea, given how Brighton run and what Chelsea have done and spent 600 million in the last three years, I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. It's remarkable how good they are at scouting, at development, and at selling players. They bought Mark Cucurella for 14 million. Was it 14 million? I think it was about 14 million. And they sold him for 62 in a year. <laughs> they brought Basuma in. I think they paid 13 or 14 million for him. They got 30 when they sold him to Spurs. And the only reason it was only 30 was because he needed a year left in his contract. Leo Ostergaard, like I said, I think they made a mistake with him. Uh, Neil Mope, I think they just basically got what they paid for him back. I think they paid 15 rising to 20. I think they got 15 back. Not, I don't think there's, there's add-ons, but they got in and around what they paid for them. So they've done well with these type of things. They're such a smart club. Look at the players they've got out on loan right now. Simon Adingra, super talented. Abdelassima, super talented. Jensen Weir, super talented. Rada Kadri is meant to be excellent. Teddy Jenks, very, very talented. Michael Karbownik, really talented. Kjell Sherpin, really talented. Kasper Kozlowski is the one I'm most excited about. Super talented. Like, these are all players that they're going to have come back, be part of their squad at some point, maybe not next year, could be the year after, and probably make fortunes off. The two English kids in midfield, Jensen Weir and Teddy Jenks, they're players that Brighton fans are really excited about. Um, Teddy Jenks came through their own academy. Jensen Weir, they nicked off Wigan when Wigan had all their financial problems. I just think they're so well run. They scout talent so well. And they rarely miss anymore. Like you don't look at Brighton and think, oh, well, that's that's been a mistake. They're, there's one they messed up with. Like every time they get someone, you just automatically now think yeah, that's going to be a good buy. That's going to work out. They're going to make they're going to make money off that. But it's a sign that it's not about how much you can spend. It's about how you spend your money, and they spend their money on analytics and talent development, and they go out in the margins and they find exceptionally talented young players. They got Matoma at a song; they'll sell him for a fortune. They got Caicedo for four and a half million. They're going to get sixty for him. 
They're going to get 60 million for a lad they paid four and a half million for two years ago. Ridiculous. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the rest of the season holds. Like I said, they've got to get a striker in. They've got to get a striker in and they've got to find another ball-winning midfielder. Get those two things in and even if even if Caicedo goes in January, I still think they're going to be top half again this year, which will be incredible considering the manager walked out after six, seven games. Um, professional footballers in Scotland are to be banned from heading the ball in training the day before and the day after a game. Oh, that's interesting. So at the moment, they're banning headers and training in under 12s, but they're going to bring that the whole way up to senior level. No heading will be allowed the day before or the day after games. Clubs are also being told to limit exercises that involve repetitive heading to one session per week. The new guidelines come after Glasgow University research showed that former footballers were three and a half more like times Sorry, three and a half times more likely to die from brain disease. Wow. Do you know what? I'm fully on board. I'm fully on board. This is really good. This is really, really good. So fair play. Uh, Let's do the gossip and be done. Chelsea are to, to open talks with Leandro Trossard, whose contract expires next summer. No, it doesn't. He's got, they've got an option to extend it. It's football insider. The chap's an absolute gobshite. Swearing is necessary. Saudi Arabian side Al-Halil are exploring a deal to sign Cristiano. Nobody cares at this point. Can I not read these? That's Friday. Why am I looking at Friday? Wait a second. Oh, I don't have Sunday. So I've only got two days to do. Uh, Manchester United have held talks about re-signing Memphis Depay. Okay. Mason Mount rejected a new Chelsea contract worth more than 200 grand a week the week before the World Cup. Um, I don't think he wants to play as a forward player. I think he wants to play in midfield. I think that's a big part of why he's turned down that bid. It's 1-1 in the Serbia versus Cameroon game. Thankfully. Thankfully. Come on, Serbia. Get, get your act together. Not that I'm against Cameroon at all. Big fan of Cameroon. We'll always have memories of 1990 and Roger Miller dancing at a corner flag. Big fan of Zambo and Gisa, but I need Serbia to do well here. Um, Chelsea and Real Madrid remain in the race to sign Endrick of Palmieri's despite Paris Saint-Germain making a bid. The kid is 16. Clubs are going to pay 45 million for him. Madness. Sampdoria could cancel... Harry Winks' season-long loan from Tottenham early. He has not played because of an ankle injury. I was not aware that he hadn't played a single game yet. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what the ankle injury is. But they do have an option to make it permanent. It might be worth just persevering with that one. Um... Jeff Felix wants to leave Atletico Madrid and has asked his agent to find a new club. It is time for him to move on. Alex Awobi is set to sign a new three and a half year deal with Everton worth 100 grand a week. Nothing better than giving a player a big new contract after a couple of good months following a few bad years, you know? 
Everton are willing to allow Yerry Mina and Abdoulaye Dukure to leave in January. Mina, I can understand, he's always injured. Dukure is important to them, though. The Premier League will not follow FIFA's ultra-strict approach to stoppage time, which has meant that some matches last more than 100 minutes when the league resumes after the World Cup. There's pros and cons to it, but I do like that it means time-wasting gets punished. Manchester United are considering a move for Moussa Diaby. Makes absolutely no sense. Um, Bologna chief executive Claudio Fenucci insists Marco Arnautovic is not for sale. He was in the summer, so I'm assuming he still is now. West Ham are willing to sell Czech fullback Vladimir Stufal in January and will listen to offers of about $6 million. That's football insiders. was crap. Uh, Amancio Ortega, the owner of Inditex, which owns Zara, has no intention of buying Manchester United. I, I think I said that on Friday. The guy's 86. Leave him alone. Uh, Barcelona, the last thing he needs is to manage Manchester United. Serbia are doing madness here. It's 2-1 Serbia. It's 2-1 Serbia. Serbia? Serbia. Uh, Pavlovic with the first goal. We're still in, we're in stoppage time at the end of the first half. They scored the first one after 45 plus one. And now they have tacked on another. Outstanding. 45 plus four. Magnificent. Can't beat a good stoppage time goal. Gotta love it. Uh, where am I going? Barcelona manager Xavi Hernandez has asked the club to extend the contract of Sergio Busquets for more season. No, please don't. Just let him go and play in the MLS. It's painful watching him now. Uh, Napoli are interested in signing Adama Traore on a free next summer, as are Real Betis. Colo Torre has agreed a three and a half year deal to come become manager of Wigan. We'll see how that one works out. Hope he does well. I like Colo. I don't know that he'd be a good manager, but I do like Colo. Um, he's fun. Uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic with the second goal for Serbia there. Um, Monday's gossip. Oh, yeah. Paris Saint-Germain and Argentine forward Lionel Messi is set to agree a deal to join into Miami next season. I've said this before. I assume MLS are helping out and that he's going to get some sort of discount on a future MLS franchise. Um Christian Pulisic is been monitored by Manchester United, Newcastle and Arsenal. United are exploring a loan move for January. Liverpool want to sign two midfielders next year with three of their senior midfield. Football insider. Why am I even reading this out? Liverpool have held discussions with two Middle East-based consortiums over takeover. Newcastle are preparing a move for Vasco da Gama's midfielder Andre Santos in January. Rio Ferdinand says his ex, his ex Manchester teammate David Beckham will come with a consortium to buy the. Why would anyone listen to anything Rio Ferdinand has to say? Guy has all the intelligence of a doorstop. Tottenham have concrete interest in Club Bruges Denmark winger Andreas Skov Olsen for January. He needs to stay at Club Bruges and just continue to develop and play and score and do the things he's doing there. The long-term future of... Our, this is football, again. 
How would his future be in doubt? How would there be friction with the new manager when the new manager is only there and he's away at the World Cup? Wayne VC, you are an absolute disgrace and you embarrassed yourself, embarrassed yourself over the whole Steven Gerrard thing. You're a grown-ass man and you lie for a living. You've got a website that is nothing but lies. Chelsea have been scouting Piero Hincapi uh, at the World Cup. Uh, they've been linked to him in the past, so that's not a surprise. Juventus are plotting a move for Athletic, Athletic Bilbao and Spain forward Nico Williams. He's really exciting. AC Milan want to sign Noah Okafor from Red Bull Salzburg. Okafor, Liao, De Ketley, that would be the start of a really exciting front group. Uh, AC Milan, oh, go away with your Hakim Ziyech to AC Milan thing needs to go away. Barcelona will offer a new five-year deal to Alejandro Balde, the young left-back. Makes sense. Inter Milan are lining up a £20 million move for Anthony Robinson. I like Anthony Robinson. He's not worth £20 million. Leeds will give 19-year-old Spanish striker Mateo Joseph a new contract a year after he signed from Espanyol. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, eight minutes into stoppage time at the end of the first half here um, between Serbia and Cameroon. And um, the strangest thing is Luka Jovic, who's sitting on the bench, has just been booked. Uh, he's not even in the team. He is sitting on the bench and he has just been booked. Well, that's always fun. It's half time. It is halftime. There we go. And we're done. We're done for today. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the games today. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.